Hello everyone, and welcome back to another episode of In Our 1990s, the podcast where your two hosts are ranking all of the alternative albums of the 90s, no matter how much they say sodomy in them. I'm your host, Natalie, and as always, I'm joined by my co-host, Hadrian. How are you, Hadrian? Oh, not so bad. Even with all the sodomy going around? Oh, you know. Got a, got a case of the sodomy? That's the thing that happens. Are we just going to say that now? That's going to be what we do on the show? We're, We're just, gonna... just going to say sodomy as many times as possible. God. That's sorry. Yeah, no, it's been a, been a fine week for listening to two bands that do not mesh whatsoever. Oh my god, I'm so glad this week is over. <laughs> I didn't have as much of a hard time as Natalie did, but... I I mean, I set myself up for it by picking this Marilyn Manson album. And then I just, then I counterflexed. And then you picked an album that I like much less than the Marilyn Manson <laughs> album. Um, so we are going to start with um, 1994's Portrait of an American Family by Marilyn Manson, their debut album, which was on Nothing, which was Trent Reznor's, uh, Reznor, listen to me, Trent Reznor's uh, imprint on Interscope. And he was kind of the first person to really take an interest in them in the music business and signed them. And the rest is Marilyn Manson falling apart and Trent Reznor becoming a rich producer guy. Who just wants to do soundtracks. And oh, Manson does soundtracks too, but like they do, they both do movie scores. Like I find that this is like a theme for people who were very prolific in the nineties, just decided they were just going to do film scores. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, with Marilyn Manson, obviously, we'll we'll get into it, but the visuals are such a big part of the music. Mm-hmm. Like, you can't really separate the two. And I think that's why I'm not a huge fan of Marilyn Manson's albums, because you can't really separate the two. I think as as he's gotten older, it's gotten better. But yes, early on, it was definitely an issue. Yeah, his his later music is much more palatable for someone like me who's not into industrial metal i don't know if that's an insult to industrial metal to call this that this is i would always just classify it as industrial like yeah it's not really keyboardy enough it's like it's like industrial goth couldn't go this hard but it's still in that same wheelhouse yeah i mean you occasionally hear some sisters creep in and clearly uh nine inch nails broken ep was a huge influence Mm. on this album not and not just because it was ended up being produced by Trent Reznor, but um, totally there's there's some similarity. Yeah, I mean, I think this is the first like someone can tell me I'm wrong, but like I think this is the first album to really come out and hit it big that was very heavily influenced by Broken. And then there's nothing wrong with that. And like I'm gonna go out and say I am otherwise indifferent to Marilyn Manson, like. I like some of the I like some of the songs, and I deeply loathe a few others. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I wouldn't say I hate this album by any stretch. I mean, there's enough on it that I think is good to carry it. It just was very not what I was in the mood for this week, and that made it hard. <laughs> um, and also, I just like again, we can get into it, but like, man, I think some, I think a lot of Marilyn Manson's lyrics are just bad. And especially in this period, I mean, it's not gotten wildly better now, but he has more consistent songs than. So this was definitely born out of like a grunge is boring. We need to do something different. How do goth is dead? How do we do something different? And this is being this is obscenity for obscenity's sake in a very like satanic streak level when it comes to it. 
uh, because it's... Sorry, my brain stopped. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, so this is very satanic in a way that it's very focused on giving a voice to something that will shock, uh, being obscene, making people uncomfortable. Uh, and that's, for many Satanists, that is an undercurrent of what they are interested in, is just, like, shouting back at the status quo and being uncomfortable. And Manson cornered that fucking market. Like, that was early, like, most of the 90s. You think about, like, people in church going, don't listen to Marilyn Manson. Oh, yeah, man. If you were not <laughs> there, like, the the extent of which people lost their shit about Marilyn Manson, both in positive and negative ways. 1996, I was at a church group and I happened to wear a black t-shirt and people thought I was probably going to go down a Manson hole. And I'm like, well, <laughs> joke's on you, motherfuckers. I did. <laughs> I remember the first time I heard Marilyn Manson was when I spent about a month working in a pizza restaurant and cooking pizzas. And there was a guy who worked there who was a big Marilyn Manson fan. And he we would take turns on the on the CD player in the kitchen. And he put in a Marilyn Manson CD one night. And I did not like it in the least back then. Um I've my mind has, my mind has opened since the time since that time. Um to where I can appreciate some of this. But yeah, the lyrics are just so I have no problem, like, be as shocking as you want. And, you know, if we want to throw out the preface, Momus reference of the week. I mean, there's some there's some Momus songs that are way more shocking, I think, than anything on here. What is the cultural meaning of coming in a girl's mouth? Do I wish No, that sounds just funny, but I'm thinking of, like, the guitar lesson. Oh, yes, that one is just That song is profane. so much more uncomfortable than anything on this album. And it, there's no swearing in it. There's there's a lot more specificity. <laughs> I recently bought that album on vinyl, and I hadn't really listened to the guitar lesson all the way through. And fuck, yeah, the guitar like, lesson is it's a it's a good song, but it makes you feel gross. It's one of those good songs that you don't want to tell anyone you like. Yeah, so we just told the entire internet. Well, this is a safe space to where where you can say that you like Momus <laughs> <laughs> and Momus's most reviled songs. Um, but just nothing like it's just something about when you're trying this hard to be shocking. I don't find it shocking, and I never have. Yeah, it, but it's it's cathartic. It's catharsis. That's a, that's all Marilyn Manson's stick was has ever been has been a catharsis for people who have been told no, people who are trapped in religious communities, people who need a very just profound statement against what is perceived as correct and what is forced on them. And that's why I'm I'm a little bit defensive of Marilyn Manson in that regard, even though even his own the the, the his own antics got in the way and caused a lot of issues in the nineties. There were a lot of self mutilating fans, a lot of like people taking shit way too seriously and I'm not, and that stuff's overhyped, but he came the closest to getting that satanic panic uh, reaction that people were accusing fucking Van Halen of. You know, it's like <laughs> right. Um, and and I think that like the majority of the reason is how many of those people ever actually heard a Marilyn Manson song? Like exactly. it's all because they looked at the band. And, you know, they they were committed to cross-dressing to various degrees, mainly Twiggy Ramirez was 
the one mostly going out in dresses and 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 shit and then Marilyn was half naked on stage most of the time in the early days and and i remember the cover of mechanical animals just being like the thing that sent churches a screaming which is so funny because that body it's a barbie doll body like yes. there, there is no genitalia it's, yeah but it's it was a barbie the doll it, but it was like those trans weirdos and that was like the big act that was the first time i ever heard like trans yeah because you know tra- you know as trans people we don't have genitals no we're just, just smooth we, as a we board are down there dogma dogma angels but this is yeah so this is well before mechanical animals though yes. um and by by the time that album came out, the act was so much more polished. Um, at this point, it was still just like I watched an early live show of theirs just to get a feel for for what it was like. And it was, you know, they had like bloody mutilated baby dolls all over the stage and and you know stuff like that. I mean, they borrowed heavily from Sabbath and Alice and Alice Cooper. Yeah, mainly Alice Cooper. Um, and then Marilyn, like when he did talk between songs, would say like, "Don't tell your mother I brought you here," and was like doing scary voices and shit. And it was, I mean, it's like it, it's laughable it's, in, it's, in it's, retrospect. And it's catharsis. And if, if you were in, and you know, I don't think that he meant to be super, super serious about it at the time. Like, not that they don't take what they do seriously, but clearly there's some. Uh, well okay maybe not but i I think there is some humor to it uh, that you have to like be able to get oh oh, totally so rammstein does something very similar uh with with their acts like so they got banned from an american city for having a giant pyrotechnic penis on stage so like they're in it they know they know what they're doing and a lot of their their music is Hell, when the song Mind Tile came out, that was about a, like, now legendary case of cannibalism in in Germany. And, like, they would do, they would choose songs like that. And, like, that carries through this tradition of what industrial and, and more darker-edged industrial were, were focused on, which was just rushing up against what was acceptable more, but not doing, going as far as, say, you know, death metal and black metal would do as far as their like imagery and overall like theme but but industrial music largely had way more to say than than death metal did oh sure. because you don't hear a lot of industrial groups where it's just gross gross out for gross out sake you know you have stuff like skinny puppy whose lyrics get really hard to listen to but like Again, they're making political statements. Yeah, like and, they're and, being unflinchingly like we're going to look unflinchingly at war crimes and you know whether it's war crimes or whether it's vegetarianism <laughs> or like whatever the cause is that they're in support of, like they're gonna do it in the most graphic way possible to make their point. And that's what that's where I feel like most of this album like lets them down lyrically because there are there is political content and my favorite song on the album is get your gun which is a reference to uh david gunn who was an obgyn who performed abortions who was murdered by a pro-life psycho and that again like i don't think the lyrics are you know it's not like skinny puppy caliber (laughs) like political statement but it is at least it's saying more than cajun sodomy for example which is just 
oh, I'm going to say sodomy and I'm going to say date rape and I'm going to say all these words. And, you know, Marilyn Manson famously would go on to say the N-word a lot. And like, That's at least changed a bit. Has it? He doesn't do it now. I saw a clip of him on stage somewhat recently where oh, he fuck. was yelling about why aren't you acting like white people? Because somebody was being rowdy and he was like, act oh, like white people. Oh, God. Yeah. I thought it was just... Oh, like, no, he's more of a mess than he's he's ever been. He's, uh, like, constantly, like, falling down, like, drunk on stage and shit. Like, that's, that's good. It's a know. real sad spectacle now. But. Yeah, it's, so, um, I recently learned that Maynard gets, like, fucking wasted before he get, does shows. That's a... Does he get wasted on his own wine that he grows? Probably, yeah. Or that he bottles however he has a, he has a vineyard yeah but he he had covid and now apparently his lungs are fucked up so and maynard all, is a real piece of work yeah that's that's what i was trying to say yeah we'll just say piece of work that that's the only <laughs> i didn't really want to say piece of shit because i think that's probably too far he's like a weird libertarian now like yeah, a lot of types rock guys turns out everyone kind of is and it sucks rammstein seems okay still if you want to see something real uncomfortable look at the time tim and eric got to interview him about his wine and they're like so tell you about this shitty ass wine you made oh, this stuff's horrible tell me all about it oh god i i just i can't i cannot be that cringe it's it's very uncomfortable i, I can't take it but if you liked that kind of comedy then i can't watch the office like that's where i'm at when it comes to this but back to marilyn manson <laughs> speaking of cringe yeah, this album's kind of cringy. It's it's real cringy. Uh, let's talk about the the good songs, though. So we both like Dopat. Yeah, Dopat fucking rocks. And it, I think it's more indicative of where their sound goes from here. Because it has the, the percussion. It has the the swell of, like, clingy, awesome guitars. It has that and, real Tom-heavy, like, the beautiful people, mm-hmm. that kind of rhythm. And, that, and it also, like, shifts in, like... The, the bridge is a nice, like, vaguely carnival-esque sound. And it's nice. Like, I just... It works. Right. And, and that's the one place on the album... I mean, like, Dark Carnival is, like, such a cliche now. And not just because of the insane clown posse calling their, their group, the Dark Carnival. <laughs> oh, but God. Like, are we going to do ICP on this show? Oh, man, I don't know. They technically count. Maybe. We'll see. Um... It, but like it does work in this instance because they execute it so well and because they tap into my personal childhood trauma of Sid and Marty Croft. Mm-hmm. They, they, there's a sample of Lidsville of, of who ho ho. <laughs> and once you see who ho ho, you'll you're surely doomed. And, and that works on me every time because there's nothing fucking scarier than Sid and Marty Croft shows. Um, but yeah, there is that kind of like circus music like keyboard line going through it and it's it's i i feel like the best stuff on this album is where they embrace keyboards and electronics more yes and that may just be that i have a taste for that kind of thing in general and i'm not a purist because i don't really care about heavy metal well it made them sound it made them stand out more it made the music more creative and like of a style and i'm I'm so glad we don't have to do the apparently non-existent second album that i thought was the second album <laughs> well it's a i mean it's album length but it's mostly remixes and covers but so. they they had a definite like willy wonka like vibe going and i just 
I'm glad that ended. Yeah, I mean, that is such a huge cliche, and it was much less of a cliche in 1994, but I remember thinking at the time that it was dumb. Like, the, the you know, referencing Willy Wonka to be creepy was already played out in 1994. And, you know, this this album just literally starts with the the boat speech from Willie with Marilyn Manson reciting the the there's no earthly way of knowing which which way the boat is going thing from Willy Wonka and then I mean they were straight up using the Willy Wonka font as their logo at, <laughs> early yeah, on yeah it's 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 um, just don't do it and 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 then you know Dopat is is like it's using a magician's hat and like pulling the rabbit out of the hat as a metaphor for you know for hiding your drugs and and i think that why that song works so much for me is so this album came out three months after kurt cobain's suicide and that song is explicitly about being an being a famous artist or just being in the public view and being deeply in need of help and everyone being like oh you know the the, the tortured artist you, you can't help the tortured artist they gotta they gotta be tortured to make that art and that that's it was very timely yes. so it's why it, that, it's why to me that song stands up despite its cliches is that yeah a it's executed really well and b it was it you know the first that that song was probably written before Kurt Cobain killed himself, but it came out at exactly the right time. Yeah, and like I think Cyclops is a fine is is an okay song, and Organ Grinder's okay. Yeah, it, I see. I wanted Organ Grinder to sound more like Dopat, and mm-hmm, it's it, like it needs to have like a hurdy gurdy in it, and it doesn't. <laughs> and that's kind of the downfall of this album. It's like it, it's it, it's arranged strangely. That like the the highs and lows are pretty apparent, and it's not like it doesn't really flow, and it's it's despite being very industrial, it it's very slow, and yeah, I mean industrial music typically is more down tempo. It's, it's, but Manson doesn't stay that way, and that, that that's that's the thing is like more of their songs later on get like heavier when they're slow and this doesn't and that's definitely like indicative of this just being the first album like they they hone this sound so for like a first effort this is great (laughs) right and so there was um there were issues with the production around this album it was originally produced by Rolly Masaman of the Swans Mm. but the band hated the results and so Trent Reznor actually reproduced well Trent Reznor and Marilyn Manson the, the person not the band like went back and completely reproduced it and remixed it. Um, they didn't really re-record much because the band lineup was kind of in flux. So this, like the, this album was all recorded with the original bassist and the original bassist is who's credited mm-hmm. as playing. It's, it's not Twiggy. Yeah. Um, but Twiggy had joined the band by the end of the album, but all the bass parts had already been recorded and they didn't re-record them. One thing that surprised me is that almost all of sarah lee lucas's drums were replaced with programming so almost all of this is a drum machine or samples that that stands out <laughs> it feels that way which that could also just be for like timing reasons to make it easier to to like lay the tracks down in the studio um it doesn't necessarily mean that his drumming was shit it just it could just mean that there's enough tempo 
enough of a tempo issue that that like I mean it look, was easier to just go back and and have someone it wasn't Trent Reznor but it was some other person from Nine Inch who, who was in Nine Inch Nails at the time went back and just programmed all the drums and, and it definitely feels that way because there's not that just because in later Marilyn Manson albums the 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 drumming is very raw and it, it's very it's very clearly a drum. And here it's it's a little in the background and it's a little sad. You don't want it, you want it to be you don't want it to be as mixed in as it is. Yeah, and especially when you're a new band, like you just record as fast as possible yes. because nobody's willing to take a big chance on you at that point. And it's and it's way cheaper to just go back and fix your drums than it is to bring you back in. Yeah, and you might turn out to be like Kevin Shields, where if if you're not closely reined in, then you end up bankrupting your record label. <laughs> Um, so yeah, I mentioned Get Your Gun and, and like, I really liked that song. Like I actually actively liked that song as opposed to thinking like, oh, it's fine for the time or whatever. Um, I think the sample work on that song is, is pretty exceptional. Mm -hmm. That, that and Dopat. Um, I mean, I could kind of do without the fact that it samples the Bud Dwyer suicide press conference in its entirety. Um, yeah. And I also think it's. Like, again, who knows? I, I, I don't know when the song was written, but it sounds a lot like Milk It by Nirvana, the chord progression, but it's done with that more, like, throbbing Marilyn Manson rhythm that, mm -hmm. that's kind of, like, slinky and creepy. And that song just works extremely well for me. Um, and then I think Misery Machine is, like, a good white zombie song <laughs> it definitely is and there's and there's da down to the lyrics uh, yes. about you know being the being the devil car driving to the abbey of Thelema. <laughs> it's so uh, like i don't know that we have a whole lot that's insightful to say about this album but like it, if I you just... if you care about the history of of acts that are you know culturally relevant and i would say marilyn manson is culturally relevant oh, in many ways uh you should listen to the first you should listen to this album and then listen to lest we forget which is the marilyn manson greatest like greatest hits album for like the 90s into the early 2000s and like that will give you a a good primer of everything that you need to know but also lest you lest we forget is actually super well arranged but I don't know. It's like, I don't hate this album, obviously. Like, I have a soft spot for Marilyn Manson, even though it's not my go-to. It's not music that I listen to all the time. But sometimes you're just in the middle of it, and you're just like, I'm gonna listen to Dopat. <laughs> or I'm gonna listen to Beautiful People. And, like, you just have a Marilyn Manson moment. And this album has less of those moments. But it's it does conjure up where they were going in the end. Right, and and I'm I'm looking forward to talking about like Antichrist Superstar and and Mechanical Animals later on because I I do think those are much more interesting albums. Um, and and he got way further into the art aspect of it. Yeah, I mean the I love a lot of Marilyn Manson videos, whether regardless of the music and how I feel about it. Like I think the videos, as a fan of horror movies and like underground movies. This is where I I plug the video for one of the songs he did for the Queen of the Damned album. That video's real good. That song's hokey as fuck, but it's exactly what you would expect from a vampire rock star. I mean, a lot of a lot of Marilyn Manson's whole thing is hokey as fuck, but it's it's not bad. This album's not bad. I don't love it. 
Yeah, I'm not going to listen to it much fine. after this. I'll, I'll listen to Get Your Gun. Get Your again. Gun and and, and Dopat. Like, that's that's what you take away from this album. Yeah, those, it, obviously there were seeds of something way better than what most of this album is. Yeah, which and, is just and, kind of nondescript industrial metal that's kind of slow and not particularly interesting melodically. Or... Yeah, and like... Well, we'll talk about this in the future, but I feel MSI's first album ripped off this album hardcore and then just sped it up. It's way, it's entirely, it's almost entirely synthesizers, but like it just, they sped up everything on this album. And it's very clear that that was an influence and it's fine, but this album has, this album is very relevant because it is influential in a weird way. People just like, I'm going to do this thing. But I'm glad that Marilyn Manson separated themselves from sounding like White Zombie because that needed to happen. There's still definitely a tonal similarity because it's the entire genre of music is going to sound tonally similar. But like Zombie's way better at doing weird uh, samples and then making that blend into a beat. And this album was playing at that and didn't do it quite as well. Let's rank this, because we've talked a lot about Marilyn Manson now. So the first place I gravitated to was Pretty on the Inside, because A, the history between Marilyn Manson and Courtney Love, mm-hmm. and B, the, the this is these are like two sides of early 90s shock rock. Yeah. Um, and I, I think I, that Pretty on the Inside is a way more shocking album than this. <laughs> like, oh yeah, but like I think this album's way more listenable. Yeah, I think it is too. Um, so I'm that's not where I'm stopping, but like that's where I wanted to start. Uh I would actually put it up get up above uh six months on the richer. Okay, yeah, so that's kind of where I'm headed. Um it, it like A because it's funny to put this directly oh. above a Christian album. Yes. B, I think that like I thought Cascade was pretty boring. Um, but the musicianship and just the number of different styles that peter murphy pulls off on that album i think like puts it above this yeah i mean gliding like a whale is real hard to <laughs> to say that that, that it puts Look, it up higher but that was one song with really terrible lyrics there's a lot most of this album has really terrible yes, lyrics. but so. i think it is functionally more interesting than that sixpence on the rich yeah me too and I think that's a good place for it. Like, yeah, that's like, actually exactly where I was going to end up with this. So that would put it at the new number 40 between Cascade by Peter Murphy and Fatherless and the Widow by Six Pence and the Retro. I'm good with that. Yeah. And so if if anyone listening to the show has real strong feelings about Marilyn Manson, like the other albums will go higher than the, than this. But I don't I, I don't think this one is is like that great. So And we might even have a special friend come and... Tell us how much we're wrong about Marilyn Manson. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we might. We might. Okay, well, so... Who's, who's going to drag us to shit if we're talking about Wonka aesthetics? <laughs> All right, well, let's... We'll get to that when we get to it. But um, for now, I'm going to add this one to the list, and then we'll come back and talk about Messiah. We are back, and we're going to talk about our second album this week, which is 21st Century Jesus by Messiah, also from 1994. Um, man, this is some hardcore techno, Adrian. 
Hell right. It is. It's great. I fucking love it. We're done. Write this album. No, it's... Uh, number 40... Fuck you. That's right. right? <laughs> anyway, yeah. So it's weird that I would pick an album full of samples. And I'm just going to leave with that. But this is definitely a 90s techno album full of samples that I feel is done in a, a cheeky way. So Messiah is a British duo... Uh, and they sample like 90% of any of the vocals that you hear on the, on all of their, on, they have two albums and this is the first one and the only one that really charted, uh, they didn't chart very well, but it charted better than you'd think a techno album would chart. Uh, I think one of the songs topped at number 20. Probably Temple of Dreams, I'm assuming. Yeah, I believe so. Uh, Temple of Dreams fucking slaps. Uh, but so what they're doing is it's more involved techno than just like Captain Jack and Cotton Eye Joe and like those are very hooky and No, that's that's all Eurodance. Yeah. This, is, this is not Eurodance. But Eurodance borrowed a lot from what this sound is. And so this is def- definitely just straight up just like we're going to make some synthesizer noise. We're going to make a danceable beat. We're going to talk about how maybe religion's a little bit fucked up. Uh, we're going to sample George Bush and make that sound weird. And I love this album. I'm not going to sit here and defend it real hard, but there is a lot of... You you sample The Running Man and I'm here for it. You know? You, you sample Thunderdome. There's literally a song called Thunderdome where just Thunderdome! Being shouted over and over. And like, I love it. I love it. It's stupid. My My... Dear friend Sarah gave this album to me when I was a wee-in, and I loved it. And it's it's it just this produces warm fuzzies for me when I was the only person in the world, probably on a bus somewhere in the Midwest, listening to Messiah, while Toxic was playing on the radio station. <laughs> I would so much rather listen to Toxic than I like this, Toxic anything too. on this album. Okay, so Messiah has a lot to say about, you know, falling in line and religion and it's all it's all a bit cheeky. It's all a bit just like, well, that's a bit that's a bit shit, isn't it? And like that's like the whole thing with this album is like, that's a bit shit. <laughs> Go ahead and say the things you're gonna say. <sighs> Natalie's making faces. This album is so like you know there there are Things a synthesizer can do other than sawtooth waves. Um, <laughs> and I get it that that's like the style, just like the like heavily filtered TB303 bass lines or the Acid House style. But like, it's just like I wasn't on ecstasy and I wasn't at a rave and this was so just tedious. It just it's every song is identical they're not down to just it's all those big super heavy sawtooth waves that that you know every hardcore techno group used and it's just non-stop samples a lot of times it's just a sample repeating at this on every measure open the door sit in the seat turn the key and go yeah now repeat that like 25 more open times door, in a row in <laughs> um like the songs where there were vocals were okay. It, it gave them some personality. Um, 
and there are vocals like, it's, like it's the, so the yeah the song creator is uh, Ian Asbury from the Cult does the does vocals on that song and it gives it so much more personality than everything else on the album. <laughs> it, like it's something where I think Prodigy got got it right, which mm-hmm. was if you're going to try and cross over and not just be something for DJs to play at a rave, like have a singer. Yeah, and and this is this was you know messing with that idea. It was messing with how do how do we bring techno into the fore, and it's not necessarily successful, but I think it's ambitious, and you can feel the ambition in it. Like they were trying to make a sound, they were trying to make something cohesive, and so two of the, the two songs that really charted were twenty thousand hardcore members, which is just which is another song with just twenty thousand hardcore members, twenty thousand hardcore members, twenty thousand hardcore like with a four four beat under it, mm-hmm. and just like. I don't I don't get wanting to listen to it if you're not in a club. I I find it it's very zone out music like it just makes you feel a little peppy. You want to I couldn't zone out cuz it just shattered my nerves. It this made me so anxious. Like especially the I feel love cover slash really? remix. It just I was just like my teeth were on edge listening to it cuz it's just so like I'm I'm old, okay? <laughs> like, <laughs> I can take Marilyn Manson, but this was just driving me up a fucking wall. And I, I, I admit that I have said things on the show where I'm just like, well, Hadrian said that he didn't like samples. And this is a, it's like, well, I, I like samples that are used creatively rather than just thrown into something. I, I mean, I'm going to retract this a little bit and say, yes, the sample at the beginning of Living Dead Girl is kind of just thrown in there, but it's also integral to introducing the song. So it's like it's used in a way that is functional, and the samples I don't like are samples that just feel like they're cl- cloggy in the mix. And I don't feel, and Natalie's going to disagree with me, I know that, I don't feel the samples here are cloggy because they're instrumental to what they were trying to achieve with what they were, with the song they're trying to make. And this is like, uh, Beyond Good and Evil starts with a a great long sample. Um, Temple of Dreams starts with Running Man samples. And it samples Liz Frazier from Song of the Siren, so how's that going for it? Temple of Dreams is a real good song. And I think that they were doing something that was not necessarily perfect, but they had their thumb on an idea that was going to make sampling better. And I don't think they were particularly influential, but I think that they were following through a a concept that made sampling more uh, substantial than it had been. And I don't know. I find this album really dancey. I find it really, like, when I'm in a bad mood, I just put on Temple of Dreams and I kind of, like zone out to it and it's the kind of noise i can just be peaceful to uh and maybe the where i heard it first it might be my lifetime of growing up with this album but it's i enjoy it for it's just unrelentingness slight annoyingness (laughs) i don't find it annoying but i know it annoys other people so I would put it on when I wanted to annoy other people. <laughs> and like it just had a function in my life that it, a lot of music doesn't have. Yeah, see, I had the exact opposite reaction as you. Like, I, there, I could not, like, the thought of, like, putting this on and zoning out is just alien to me. I mean, I did, like, I did the, the same thing about the second TV like, album. I don't, like, I definitely don't think that's the worst album we've we've done or anything, but it's just... 
it's so just it just felt like a fucking dental drill in my brain after a few songs and like i know that's weird as somebody who fucking loves melt banana and white house like for me to think anything like is too loud and obnoxious but this is just like this to me this is what like the experience I had with this is like the experience you have listening to like extreme noise. Yeah. Like, and I, which and I, I find relaxing and like, it puts me in a better mood when I listen to that stuff. Like if I'm in a bad mood, I will put on a white house album or a incapacitance album and like feel better. <laughs> and, and whereas if like, if I'm, if I were stressed out and put this on, I would like run through the wall and leave a Bugs Bunny shaped hole <laughs> within five minutes. No, and I, and I get that. That's where we are, you know, demonstrably different people. Like, it, it's... I've always gone, retreated into techno as, like, a... Techno, techno was, like, always around in my life because I used to do a lot of, like, competitive skating when I was a youth. And that happened at a lot of skating rinks, which it was mostly techno, then some safe pop top 40 hits... And I just vibed it. Like, it just put me in a place where I could zone out and focus on what I was doing. Because I was doing a lot of racing. And this helped me train for that. This helped me with kickboxing. Like, if you need a like a high RPM thing to, like, do some fucking just circuits to, this is this will get you there. Like, if you need to just punch something for a bit, it's a very steady rhythm you can just like find your groove inside of that and dance around with it. And if you don't have that kind of necessity, I can definitely feel it. And for me, that's where it comes from. It's like, I need that kind of beat. I need that kind of like, and it just makes you get into a groove with what you're doing. And that's where I can zone out with it. I used it for exercise and I used it for just focus and it really helped. And that's why you can, and people have different things, like people, like, I will only listen to classical music when I want to focus on things. Like, yeah, you find a pl the thing that helps you zone out. And this was what that was. This album just hit me at a time that was really good. I mean, I had this on a mix album that also had the 2001 hit, uh, not hit, but questionable piece called Destroy, She Said, which was written... Right before the Twin Towers fell. And he still published it. So that's great. Well, um, and that song is much more house than... Uh, yes. Uh, that's not a hardcore song. No. Um, and, and I think that's part of it for me is like, even in the 90s, I found this, this stuff kind of obnoxious. Like I liked drum and bass and jungle. And this like gets right up against drum and bass a lot of times, but it it does have the just those huge sweeping sawtooth waves <laughs> on the sense that that are that you didn't hear as much in drum and bass where it was more bass focused than than those huge rave synths. Um, and and I liked um, you know house music because a lot of like Japanese artists kind of. Like especially Pizzicato Five got way into house music and everything but the girl obviously, you know, got into house and and drum and bass around this time, and that was the stuff that that I could zone out to, and I just can't with this. It's just so so harsh to me. And that's fine. I don't see it as a as an attack. I put it on here because it's something that it's always in my head, 
Like, I think about Temple of Dreams probably every week. Yeah, and, like, let me say, like, obviously, this is well executed. Like, they do what they do well. Yes. It's just a, it's just the the thing they do is something that I, that just grates on my nerves. And that's, and that's fair. And it was very short-lived. Like, this, they only did two albums. This was the only one that was of any real note. And then it was, like, one and done and they were gone. Yeah, and, and I think that's because, like, drum and bass kind of swallowed fucking everything in the it, late yes, 90s it really did i mean the, like 96 through about 2002 it was just that's what electronic music was in, unless it was trance yep and and this i mean this could almost butt up against trance too which i like much more than this but this is just at a, a weird crossroads of sound and it's playing with ideas that's not necessarily 100% successful but I think on a whole it is just a blasphemous bit of techno that you should definitely <laughs> listen to and I don't I don't really get the the blasphemous bit all that much I mean it's like they sample televangelists but who didn't in 1994 well the idea is like I'm gonna tell you something you're not gonna like I'll tell you something the world's not gonna like I am the creator <laughs> I am the like that is they're it is it is a blasphemy in the sense of making these things seem trivial and just having a good chuckle at the like pompousness of religion and like it's it's not a a, a big f- it's not a concrete idea but i feel it's there like there's you you, you listen to this and you go like those guys almost certainly do not believe in the jesus oh no but yeah. it, like I don't know. I think of uh, Front 242, what's the song called? Welcome to Paradise, I think. Mm-hmm. The one where, it, you know, hey, poor, you don't have to be poor anymore. And that's that's the same thing, but done so perfectly. Like, I think they're very similar in, in scope. And, and then blasphemy is not one, it's not a one thing. Because, like, Marilyn Manson's very blasphemous, intentionally. And this is just sort of just, like, a more relaxed form of, like, ha, ha, ha form of blasphemy and it, they're both blasphemous and that wasn't on my mind when i picked this one because i didn't really know what natalie was doing this week before <laughs> i picked this one but sometimes, yeah sometimes we don't consult sometimes we just pick a thing and sometimes i also get. just panic and pick an album that's kind of what happened with this one but like i had been thinking about temple of dreams at the time so i was like we're gonna do the messiah album so i don't know i enjoy it and it's okay that you don't and like i'm not i'm not upset in any way because i understand I understand what this album sounds like. I understand that we are in 2020. It is a long time since this sound was relevant. And that's not it. I mean, I feel like I can put myself in the position of going back to something and saying, yeah, I see why this was good at the time. And I I get why people liked this at the time. I just think that the context in which people liked it is so divorced from the context I'm in now mm-hmm. that it's... And so much, it just had so little to do with the music itself. Like, you just needed a beat that you could, you know, take ecstasy and, and like, spin glow, glow sticks around to. And I feel this was trying to do something a little bit above that. Like, yeah, I think so, but I it's not far enough above it. For, like, you, you've got to, like, commit harder to it. Like, they needed to have more actual singing and not just samples of either samples of people singing that are cut down to like three words or or just vocal or just you know dialogue from a movie looped 
if it were all like that first track and the Ian Astbury track, I would have I would think this should go much higher than than I think it should go now. And I love I feel uh, like I feel love like that just it, it's, it's a very plodding growth to it that just like makes my back tingle. <laughs> but yeah, I get that's that. so funny because that to me is is the most unlistenable song in the album. That's the one where I I had to skip it every time because I could like could not get through it. It just I found it so nerve shattering. <laughs> well, I'm and I, I hate I hate doing this, but like sometimes I need to to gauge my where I'm gonna settle yeah. based on what Natalie wants to rank it as. So give me hit me hit me with your best shot there. I would put this between Peak Hour and Throwing Copper because I don't think it's as good as Peak Hour. I think there's so much more art to that record. <clears throat> yeah, uh, I can't really fight you on that one actually. I wish it was higher because how much I love it, but like I think that's a reasonable place to put it. <laughs> yeah, and if you want to have the fight about whether this belongs above Manscape or Pretty on the inside, we're gonna be here all fucking night. No, long. I don't really want to have that fight. Like <laughs> personally, it is, but like I'm not gonna. Well, there's a lot of stuff at the bottom of the list where I would not fight this going above it, but I think that Peak Hour is a good comparison as another techno album. And it's to me that just the artistry on that record and the ambition of it is so much great, even though I kind of criticize that as it's another Acid House record in <laughs> 1993. Like, I mean, I just like Acid House more than hardcore techno. But, okay, but, <laughs> so the, the techno, the techno I like, like, I need you to just. Are you getting a vibe for that now? Like, it's just it's not necessarily one thing and it's not necessarily what was popular. But it was just, it, it, it's something that vibes with me. And Psychic TV, I think in a way, vibes with me more. But I think that this album is better. Yeah, the vibes for me on this album are the vibes of a jackhammer crushing your skull. But <laughs> <laughs> Natalie doesn't care about the vibes, y'all. No, I, I do. It's just I want them to be a much lower frequency than these vibes. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I'm fine with that placement. Okay, I'm, I'm glad because... I didn't want to have the, the Manscaped fight either, but I'm glad Peak Hour is there to be a gatekeeper for electronic <laughs> music. Yeah. Um, and hey, it's better than live. I'm willing to give you that. It is. <laughs> All right, so that puts this at number 47. Um, so let's go back up and look at our top 10, which once again has not changed. Um, Number 10 is 10 by Pearl Jam. Number 9, Without You, I'm Nothing by Placebo. Number 8, Kill Uncle by Morrissey. Number 7, Superstition by Susie and the Banshees. Number 6 is Spooky by Lush. Number 5, Very by the Pet Shop Boys. Number 4, The Philosophy of Momus by Momus. Number 3, Liberation by The Divine Comedy. Number 2, Get Lost by The Magnetic Fields. And number 1, Nonsuch by XTC. If you want to see our complete rankings, you can go to bit.ly slash nr1990s. That's bit.ly slash nr1990s. And you can also find our official show playlist on Spotify by searching for nr1990s, which contains every one of the albums that we have ever ranked and the two albums we are doing next week. So what are you doing next week? Uh, well, since it is the spoop times, I thought we should do like a real just world class kind of goth album. So we're doing Vision Thing by Sisters of Mercy, which is the only Sisters of Mercy album that will qualify for this show. And I was about to say our first real goth album, but no, The Mission was our first real goth album. And 
Peter Murphy and Susie. Yeah, that Peter Murphy, but we did the mission before either of those, and that Peter Murphy album is not all that goth. It counts because he can't stop goth singing. <laughs> no, he did, he has the goth voice, but like it's it's not a very goth record. Anyway, so my album next week, I'm giving myself a treat because of this week, <laughs> and I'm doing um, Emmerdale, the first album by the Tardigans, which is just so such a nice, relaxing, just it's like taking a nice hot bath after this week. <laughs> I fucking love the early Tardigan stuff. Mm-hmm. First band on the moon and, and earlier. It's all great. Didn't really care much about where they went after that. But. It was a total whiplash from that album to my album. <laughs> yeah, they're very different. Very About as tonally different as you can get. Um, Though this is not nearly as like Chugga Chugga Sisters as you think it might be. So Yeah, we'll see. I don't, I don't know. I'm not a Sisters scholar, even though I liked some other stuff. Well, the first song is going to just like, you're going to be like, they said what in this album? So... <laughs> is it the n-word no no it is not <laughs> no it's not because i watched that thing the other day about andrew eldritch and how much he wanted to tour with public enemy and how the record label was like you can't have a white artist and a black artist touring together and he was like bitch we fucking opened for reggae bands when the sisters were starting out and yeah yeah no it's not that it's more just like it's one of the only songs where they like, like it has explicit lyrics it's one of the only sister songs that oh. has explicit lyrics and it's just like takes you a bit by surprise if you're not prepared for it because i forgot about it and i was listening to the songs like oh that is not a word so sometimes sometimes swearing when you're not expecting it it's like if like neil hannon said fuck i would just be like what <laughs> Uh, yeah, I've been learning the play. Because well, he does. Because <laughs> what the fuck is happening? Like like that one song where Noel Hannon says fuck. And I'm like, why is that there? <laughs> yeah, I've been learning to play Rise and Shine by the Tardigans this week on guitar. So Nice. And that, that's when I decided that this was my album of the week. So anyway, I'm looking forward to next week. Uh, I'm going to like both these albums more Hopefully. than I liked the two for this week. Um Yes. And even if I don't love that sister's album, God, I fucking love the Cardigans so much. <laughs> so, all right, well, let's get out of here and uh, we'll be back next week.